Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Chris McDaniel, a political reporter for St. Louis Public Radio. And joining me today... Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. And Joe Manis of the St. Louis Beacon. Before we get into anything else, we we have some business to take care of. Joe is not just Joe Manis. She is the award-winning Joe <laughs> Manis. She received a Lifetime Achievement Award on Friday. And I can think of no one who is more deserving than Joe. Well, that's very sweet of you. I'm... I'm shocked that you – seriously, shocked, because many people deserved it. This was given by the St. Louis Media Guild, and I was very surprised but and very honored. Been a lot of uh, – a couple previous big uh, people who got in the award, including Bill McClellan at the Post-Dispatch and Joe Pollack, who um, who used to work for the Post-Dispatch and for St. Louis Public Radio. Well, she is among some greats up there, and it – is most definitely an honor. Absolutely. So let's get right down to the politics of it. Monday, the state of the state happened with Governor Jay Nixon. Joe, you did you go down to the state capitol for it? No, no, we watched it online, which sounds okay. like we were just kind of not. But frankly, the last couple of years, it's turned out. I think for us to for it to be better for us to uh, monitor it online and then get uh, emailed, and I actually got involved in the briefings thanks to some cooperative uh, state officials who had me on the phone, <laughs> uh, <laughs> stuck on the side while they were briefing other reporters. So actually it worked out well because it tends to get a little crowded in that house chamber, and um, logistically it can be difficult, and we wanted to get something up right away. So, And I wasn't there either because I'm just lazy. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, and he was charged with doing uh, Speaker Tim Jones, and uh, Jason did quite well. But I think the main thing is the state of the state of dress is where the governor traditionally lays out his budget. And this year he did so. And it was somewhat good news for the la- compared to the previous years. Uh, the state is expecting to see its um, income go up actually close to over 4%. But after taking some, uh, subtracting the lack of some federal funds and some federal tax changes, the bottom line is the state expects this income to be up just a little over 3% uh, for FY 2014, which begins July 1st. But for the our listeners, the key point is, the bottom line is they expect to have a few hundred million of extra money. Uh, I'm putting quotes around that because this is after several years of massive budget cuts. So the governor was proposing to use some of it to re, to beef up spending for education. And uh, that was, I think, his chief uh, focus as far as where the extra money would go. How much more money was that I, off the top of my head? It was about $150 yeah, uh, million. Mm-hmm. And then there was some, a few other million here and there for some other programs. He's particularly focusing on early childhood uh programs, which frankly have often been a key uh, focus of governors, Republican and Democrat. Going back to when Kip Bond was uh, Mm -hmm. governor, uh, he had proposed uh, some extra spending for early childhood education. And the governor is also talking about uh, more, some more money to put in the foundation formula, which is the technical name for the basic aid program that goes to public schools from K through 12. And then he was proposing a little over 30 million for money to higher ed. Now, again, all of these entities have taken some hits the last few years in seeing their scheduled allocations lower because of the state's economic problems and because education is a large block of the state 
uh, general state spending. So you have some critics who are saying, well, he's just proposing to give back what they had to take away a few years before. Now, but a lot of this hinges on another key part that he did not bring up at the beginning of his speech. He kind of edged into it. Um, his, I would argue that is key. Was he um, bearing the lead, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes. Yeah, that that's a journalism term. And yeah, he talked about all sorts of other things. And then he finally got down to the nitty gritty the elephant in the room, so to speak, yes. for all those elephants in the <laughs> in the audience, uh, was his reaffirming that he supports the Medicaid expansion, and uh, which most of those legislators in the room were Republicans and who do not. But he was also trying to make the economic case that a, according to their calculations, that the state. With with the federal money coming in and everything else, the state actually gains, aside from the feds picking up the costs, $47 million because there's some federal money that's going to go away that's supposed to be replaced with some Medicaid expansion money. And if they don't uh, do the expansion, the state loses that federal money anyway. So the bottom line is they're saying, look, if we do this, aside from the f- the federal money for Medicaid, we, we also end up with an additional $47 million. And and he also was pointing out that many business groups, and he had a bunch of those business representatives there in the audience, which I thought was interesting, had him stand up to kind of remind those Republicans, in effect, these are your donors who support right. the Medicaid expansion because there is a number of business groups that haven't been up front on it, but I think the, the governor is trying to pressure them to get a little more up front on it that they – support the Medicaid expansion, and what he's saying is, look, this is a business decision, and many of these people standing up didn't even support the president, but mm-hmm. the, this is the law, and we need to be doing it. So, and then after that, as always is the case, uh, House Speaker Tim Jones of Eureka gave the Republican response. I believe he and Senate Appropriations Chairman Kurt Schaefer gave it last year as kind of a, a, a mm-hmm. duo, but he did it himself, and he basically gave – he ran over a lot of his triple E agenda, which I think we talked about in an earlier podcast, education, right. economic development, energy. And Mr. Speaker, if I got any of those E's wrong, please <laughs> reprimand me on Twitter. But he also gave a pretty thorough beatdown, so to speak, of the idea that the Republicans were wanted the Medicaid expansion. Now, obviously, that could change, especially if, if conditions change. But – the Republican opposition to this is nothing new and um, him expressing opposition and saying that it was uh, an overgrown Washington monster ready to eat the Missouri budget was not new rhetoric either. So, yeah, one one of Nixon's sticking points was that, you know, if the federal government doesn't hold up its end of the bargain uh, in, you know, keeping a steady flow of money for this Medicaid expansion, then Missouri doesn't have to do it. We can roll back on it. But that argument doesn't seem like it's going to be swaying any Republicans. But I thought it was the first time the governor has said that publicly mm-hmm. before, you know, a, a strong audience of critics saying, look, if they don't follow through with the money, we'll, we'll cut it off. Yeah, and that could be kind of a counter proposal, counter argument to the people that say we can't trust the federal government to hold up their end of right. the bargain. So I think that might be trying to rebut that aspect to it. It's been kind of a slow process, like with the proponents of this. They're trying to 
A, say it would provide economic development, B, trying to say it's not going to cost as much as it says, and C, trying to alleviate their fears about the federal government going back on their promise. But again, we've talked about this before. We talked about it on TV. A lot of this is philosophical. Exactly. And the philosophical argument is going to be harder to breach. Yeah, because I think they are using the financial argument to try to make the case to the general public in the middle, saying why we shouldn't do it. But a lot of this is philosophical. I mean, the the belief that the free market, not government, should be the main player in the healthcare um, industry and the healthcare pro- providing healthcare and providing healthcare insurance. Well, I'd be remiss to not bring up this topic as a person who spent six months of his life on this topic. But <laughs> the governor made what his fourth or fifth plea to the legislature to put campaign finance limits on political donations. He even said he would use all of his power to put it on the ballot if the legislature didn't act. Joe, I think I heard you on Don Marsh's show talking (laughs) about this. What was kind of your impression of that? Well, I mean, he may or may not be serious about it. I take him at his word that he is. But just because of timing, it means that if he's pressing to get it on the ballot, he really only has two opportunities. 2014, when arguably there won't be as sympathetic an audience on the ballot. If you go to previous years, when it's an off-year election, uh, Republicans tend to be more likely to turn out than Democrats because it's not like it's not a presidential election year. Governor's not going to be on the ballot. Most of the statewide offices won't be on the ballot. So turnout will be down. So we either tries doing it in 2014 and trying to uh, whip up enough uh, interest in this, or he waits 2016. Well, if he waits 2016, that's basically his swan song on the way out because he won't be running for governor. He may be running for something else. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But <laughs> but so he only has two opportunities over the next four years to get it on the ballot. So that it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow because he's tr- he is trying to get the General Assembly to act on it. Which but, they won't. Yeah, probably not. And um, – this reminds me, again, this is before you guys were born. <laughs> well, in this case, not, but you were little kids. Uh, in the early 1990s, when this first came up, mm-hmm. um, Mel Carnahan uh, pressed a similar case. He was then the newly elected governor of the General Assembly. At that point, the General Assembly were Democrats. Mm-hmm. And an interesting point is some of the major drivers of getting campaign donation limits were Republicans. And among the leaders of a special of a coalition that was set up was Roy Blunt, mm-hmm. who was a leader of this effort to try to get some sort of campaign donation limits. The legislature did approve some limits because they were concerned about this initiative petition drive that was going on. Then another initiative petition drive came on and actually got approved lower limits. And then that started years of legal wrangling over which limits would be in place And I was in the audience when Jay Nixon uh, defended the state's limits. Both of them were being challenged by various groups before the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. I got to broach this question before we go to the next topic. I mean, there's been talk about how Nixon took a lot of big donations and there's been talk about the practicality of whether this is going to happen. But I think I just have to ask an obvious question. Do limits actually work? I mean, like when you look at the federal system now, there are very strict limits but there are these super PACs where people are giving a million dollars and they're still doing exactly the same thing as the other things are. Well, I know there's this perception 
idea. Well, but are we really just doing a feel-good thing and making it harder? I mean, I don't have an opinion on this, but I do want to just throw this out okay, there. Chris, go ahead. Super PACs were a lot less influential in the 2012 election in Missouri than they were in other states because, you know, we don't have campaign finance limits. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if some millionaire wants to give a candidate a lot of money, they don't have to use the workaround of, you know, doing an advocate advocacy or or an issue ad. They can just give it directly to the candidate. Yeah, but most of the super PACs are, frankly, have been set up for national and congressional right. elections. So they don't really care about who's running for governor. But I'm just saying, wouldn't that occur on the state level if there were campaign finance limits? Again, you kind of saw that when there were before they well, were thrown out. Well, here's some differences. Uh, these super PACs are only came about after Citizens United, mm-hmm. after after that Supreme Court decision in 2010. Before that, you did have outside groups, but they were under much more stricter guidelines. And mm-hmm. you couldn't right. have all these anonymous, um, huge donations. And there were still some restrictions. I mean, the federal restrictions do put a cap on how much overall someone can put in. But that's into uh, existing groups, not these super PACs. So they can... Uh, now, when Missouri had campaign donation limits, while there was uh, concern about these committee-to-committee transfers, um, because the limits were also on a lot of these lower-level committees, um, the result was that even if you aggregated some of these donations, I mean, the donation limits were roughly, you know, about 1100 bucks for governor, for example— um, it still wouldn't approach anything like the hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand that the governor and his uh, opponent Dave Spence took from some groups. So yeah. you didn't have that, and you because the state law was set up in such a way that um, you didn't. So you could have outside independent spending, but again, it can't be coordinated. Yeah. And uh, so on the state level, technically it can't be coordinated. Yeah, yeah, technically. But <laughs> yeah. if they, but the point is during the, okay, we had limits for close to twenty years, and you, and you didn't have. Well, I'm sorry, not it was by fifteen years. Apologize, but the bottom line is, is that you didn't see that, that you weren't seeing that. You did see a little bit, but nothing massive of what you saw in the presidential election in, um, in 2012 or that were starting to loom in some of the Senate races in 2010 when there was a lot of mm-hmm. uh, major spending spent against Robin Carnahan. But that was generally by identifiable PACs, uh, the National Chamber of Commerce and some others that really came out hard against um yeah i was i'm just saying i'm just i mean again i didn't ask that question to say that one system was better or the other but i do think that if there are campaign finance limits it's going to be exactly like the federal system i mean it's other states have has shown it that way but what's interesting is the reason that campaign finance limits came about in missouri originally is because there was some concern uh for example the, ga- the gaming industry, casinos had just begun opening a couple a year or two before, mm-hmm. and uh, there were some candidates, including a candidate for governor, then um, Mayor Vince Shamel, mm-hmm. who had taken up to thirty thousand from one of the big casino magnets. And now, I guess in St. Louis City, if you're a city candidate, you can't take casino donations. Correct, anymore. correct, because they they put a restriction uh, mm-hmm. in 
city ordinance. But the bottom line there, there, there was some concern about these donations. And also there was a candidate for state treasurer who did receive like around 300000 from uh, an outstate donor. And uh, I remember Bob Holden, who was then their Democrat for state treasurer, was uh, bringing it up. And this was, as again, before campaign donation limits came into effect. So there was concern about – so there was some concern about this. And also because you had some major corporate players at the time that aren't now. uh, The the biggest player, frankly, was was Anheuser-Busch 20 years ago. And and after after candidate filing, this is me as a young reporter – I remember the day, the day after candidate filing, what you used to do was go down to uh, Anheuser-Busch and stand outside and watch the line. There would be a line of people who had just filed for office who were waiting their turn to go in to talk to certain uh, corporate officials who had been set up to handle their requests for money. Uh, I mean, this was mm-hmm. uh, this is the way it was back then. So there were many corporations at the time who were pleased— to get these limits because it got rid of that, you know. So um, anyway, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Well, since we're on the topic of campaign finance, uh, in the mayoral race, both candidates, uh, two out of the three candidates filed their campaign finance reports. Uh, incumbent Mayor Francis Slay spent nearly a million dollars in the month of January, um, and his opponent, um, President of the Board of Aldermen, Louis Reed, for December and January, he spent uh, a little over $77,000. So he's getting outspent by a lot. Not surprising. Well, and a lot of the mayor's money was uh, to to front load spending for yes. TV and radio ads yeah. and presumably flyers. So the assumption is, yeah. and this is just in the city, so he, he should be blanketing the airwaves pretty shortly. I'm sure that Jeffco will see these ads too, so... Yeah, he he started his TV campaign with uh, KMOV. I think is is where he's already gotten some airtime for it's some. It's all about business. lead paint and how yes. kids aren't this getting old poisoned house, this old house anymore. Uh, so he spent uh, five hundred thousand um, to a DC firm for reserving TV and radio time, right. and three hundred thousand to a firm I think in Texas that is uh, that Direct deals mail. with yeah that deals with um, mailers. Mm-hmm. Um, because mailers have become a major part of especially, campaigns in Missouri, especially in especially in St. Louis. Louis yeah. Because it's, when you're talking about races, especially in the St. Louis metro area, unless you're running for mayor or county executive, you can't really go on TV or radio because it's just massively inefficient. And this is kind of a more direct way, even for mayor. I mean, Slay has so much money he can afford to basically do both right now, yeah. right? Well, yeah. and he's probably—I mean, I don't know exactly where all he's airing— but often candidates do a lot of cable because that's cheaper and they can have that targeted. Hmm. So if you put um, ads on cable, you can have it targeted. So it's just in certain parts hmm. of their viewership area. So it's not quite as uh, – there isn't as much collateral uh, the way it is. Like if you're one of the broadcast stations like Channel 5 or Channel 4 where you got all these people in the county – and I mean, or and on the east side, who mm-hmm. are who are seeing your ads, and then uh, that following weekend, um, Reed did post. He disclosed uh, forty five thousand and one dollars in yes. donations, which you have to disclose any donations that are greater than five thousand. And one of his donations was five thousand and one dollars, which is pretty much saying 
we would like people to know that we are getting money. Yeah, I mean, I figured now he's not Reed isn't saying, but I'm assuming that he asked him to give him the extra one dollar so it show up in the report because some of this is not just a message to supporters; it's a message to other potential donors. Yeah. Because it's like anything else. If you're not raising money, then they're like, why should we give money? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So but, if he's getting some money, then they might reconsider. But the big news was there was a feisty debate at the beautiful new library, which, again, I was too lazy to go to. But I think both <laughs> of you were there. So yes. what yes, were your we impressions were. about that? Well, it was it was crowded. In fact, I was very lucky. Packed. Even though I got there early, um, I was lucky to get in the main hall. Um, yeah. And uh, there was an overflow room that was full. And then and there was, there an, was an, an overflow room to the overflow room. Well, it has to be nice that people care that much. Yeah, the, it does bode well yeah, for the, turnout. The yeah. League of Women Voters, who were the moderators, estimated there was at least around 450 people there. Yeah. And including. And that's. That's about right, I would say. And that's a pretty good crowd for yeah. a forum. And it's not like it was publicized everywhere. No, it wasn't. So it really people was not really, and all. it was a really rainy night. Mm-hmm. But uh, all the, but it ended up just being the Democratic candidates because uh, Jim McNeely, the um, Green Party candidate, did not participate, although he'd been asked. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, Slay Reed and uh, former Jimmy Alderman Matthews. Jimmy Matthews who provided some pithy. Uh, comedy relief at times that cut, was not his intent, but yeah. yeah, he did cut the tension a few times. Yeah. And uh, do you think he has any any impact on this race at all? He could have. I mean, I never want to say somebody's you know not going to win because he ran against that. Chris Carter and got like ten percent of the vote against him recently. But in a some, close race, in, yeah, there's some feeling that he could take away votes from Reed possibly because he's from. Where is he from? He's from 20, 27th Ward. Yeah, that's uh, obviously. So, I mean, that's one thought. But I don't know if he's not raising any money and people don't know who he is. And see, I think that's one of the reasons Reed has been pressing for uh, forums or debates that are just him and the mayor. He right. doesn't want Matthews there. Uh, and frankly, this is reminiscent of the Nixon-Dave Spence thing where Dave yeah. Spence didn't want any the, challenger, any other challenger because yeah. they wanted to have it. Uh, head to head. But yeah, I think that um, the mayor was a little nervous in the beginning, then then seemed to settle down a bit. Uh, Reed was interrupting him at the beginning until the League of Women Voters told him to not do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Reed told me afterwards that they were talking about crime. They were discussing crime. Which was the most contentious issue. And uh, Reed told me afterwards that it was because that he feels very strongly and somewhat emotionally about it. He said that he, he he had a brother who was murdered uh, in the 1980s, not in St. Louis, somewhere else. He said, but um, he said that he has a very emotional con- concern about that. But they covered a lot of ground. I mean, it wasn't just about crime; right. it was on other issues, and he, even the fight over the city water department. Seems relatively substantive as far as issues go. Was that a fair? They assessment? covered substantive issues for sure. Yes, yeah. they did, and I thought the league did a really good job of. Cause they said that they had gotten over three hundred questions from people, mm-hmm. and they tried to combine them into topics. Yeah. So they would group them, and so they they did talk about city county merger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was interesting in that uh, Reed is somewhat cool on it. Matthews is opposed to it. Uh, Slay is definitely – well, 
It's not for a merger. The mayor wants the city to reenter the county as a municipality. What Reed told me yesterday, and I interviewed him, was, and you probably heard this too, was it's not that Reed is necessarily against collaboration, but he's realistic about the prospects of St. Louis County voters accepting that they have to, the city has to do things before they take that step, which when you think about it logically, even if you agree with the mayor that we should join as a county, he's probably... I don't know. Is that the out? You think it's likely the city would join with the county anytime soon? Well, I don't know. The mayor says that that's going to be one of his objectives mm-hmm. if he gets reelected to, over the next four years to try to pursue that. I think he has. It feels like he has a sympathetic partner in St. Louis County Executive Charlie Dooley. I think so too. But Reed brings up some good points. Will county voters right. accept accept that? I mean, hey, I mean this the city. Uh, pulled itself out of the county in 1876 because it didn't want to pay for all all those rural people out there. And now guess who's laughing? <laughs> the yeah. County and and it's been a it's been a headache ever since, and it's something that probably I'm sure. I mean, just look at the. I, I've said be this done. before, but Charlie Dooley has a lot more power over stuff than Mayor Slay has, just the way that it's functioned, and I probably because. The county has more people. It has more money to spend, and just the way it's st- structured differently. But also, I think though the 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 mayor has echoed the complaints of previous mayors going back fifty years that um, because of this setup, St. Louis City is a county in and of itself. Mm. So it has a lot of these special offices like recorder of deeds. Uh, uh, you know, collector revenue. I would imagine if it if they joined, then maybe the mayor would become more powerful then. Well, because those county offices, quote unquote, would in theory go away. Yeah, that right. they would then be if 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 the city is a municipality, it'd be under the county, and so the county people holding those um, offices, which are generally appointed because of the way the county set up its charter about thirty years ago, so. Uh, that they would be covered under that. Now you've had some critics of this. This 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 came up when Charlie Dooley ran for re-election yeah, in 2010, 2010. Yeah, because Bill Corrigan, the Republican, was challenging this because he was claiming that uh, the city would bring a lot of debt in with it. I mean, uh, Dooley and the mayor deny it, but still, it did become an issue. And Corrigan saw this as a way well, of possibly it, defeating Dooley. It would it would be impactful. I don't know if that. Is true, but I do think it would direct, it would force the county to direct more resources toward the city, just because there'd be what three or four people who would have to join the council. Then I would imagine they would have to figure out how to restructure the council, and there probably would have to be some sort of uh, financial arrangement. I mean, in that, in in fairness. I mean, Florissant play, pays its own bills. Kirkwood pays its exactly. own bills. Exactly. So, so I we'll, mean, they could they could set it up where I mean, the city covers its own bills. Yeah. But it would definitely be the largest municipality in the county. So, we've covered a lot of ground today. Yes, we have. Well, if you're interested in uh, campaign finance for this race, I have an infographic. It's stlpublicradio.org. Very good one. Very, very good. Thank you. And Joe has also written about um, the $45,000 that Reed received over the weekend with Thirty-five of it being uh, from New Orleans. Yes. Yeah, he did a trip to New Orleans, Reed did, late last week in a quest for money. So you can check that out at stlbeacon.org. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at C.S. McDaniel. You can follow Jason on Twitter. Jay Rosenbaum. 
And Joe at? At J-Manis, J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And we'll be back next week with more stories. Until then, so long. So long.